Good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome home. We are so glad that you're here and you're with us today. Next week, we are starting a new sermon series. It's actually our Christmas series. Can you believe we're that far into the year that it's almost Christmas? So here's a preview of that. All right, so that'll start next week. Now, be honest, how many of you weren't really paying attention to the, to the series? You were thinking about the fact that your Christmas tree is not up and that you had those kinds of things. If you had any anxiety about that at all, just raise your hand. We had some honest people in the first service. I told people that my, if my wife was in the first service, she'd raise her hand. And she's here and she's raising her hand in this service. So, yeah, that'll start next week. Today I wanted to share my heart with you uh, in a message called Through the Roof. We're kind of in between uh, series, obviously. I want to share with you today something very important that we all um, can learn today. Jesus can do amazing things for you in you, and through you. Jesus can do amazing things for you, in you, and through you. Let's say that together. Jesus can do amazing things for you, in you. And that's the truth today. If you're coming in here today and you don't know God or you don't know church, or you're coming in here today and you've been a part of church and been following God a long time, all of us need to be reminded or heard for the first, told for the first time today that Jesus can do amazing things for you, wherever you're at today, in you, and most importantly, through you. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, If you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, you've got it on your phone. As Steve mentioned earlier, you can do that. But I want to share a story with you today that's really going to illustrate uh, exactly how God can do for you and in you and through you. In the book of Mark, and there's actually uh, three accounts in the Gospels of the story that I'm getting ready to tell, Jesus has started his ministry and has called the disciples um, off the boat to, uh, to follow him. And they begin to do some pretty cool stuff. They begin to heal and he begins to preach the word. And people kind of begin to hear that he's really something. They don't know necessarily that he's the Messiah. They don't necessarily know, is he God? Is he man? But what they do know is, is that there's somebody that you got to see. And he begins to go and teach and preach. And people follow him. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 2 that at some point Jesus makes his way back to the region of Capernaum and everybody starts to hear about it. Uh, the, the religious scholars of the day, they travel from Galilee and Judea and the Capernaum region basically to have a great big Pharisee convention and hear Jesus speak. The locals there who are from his area that knew uh, him are there among probably people that he had healed. He'd taken some helpless people and made them, you know, people that were healed. And so there's all these people and they're gathered together in a house. In fact, the Bible tells us and scholars suggest that it's possibly Peter's house. So to set the stage here, we've got a house full of people that Jesus is teaching. Somewhere from that place, there's a man, a paralyzed man, who's laying on a mat beside the road. Probably most people had passed by this man on their way to Jesus' house. And most likely, the paralyzed man had probably been laying in different places around Capernaum for a long time. And people had seen him. Maybe he was a local paralyzed man. What we do know about the paralyzed man is that anybody who was paralyzed had to be carried from one spot To another spot. What we also know, according to the Jewish mindset, was is that if you were paralyzed, okay, if you were paralyzed, there was a a reason for that, and that reason was sin. Okay? That's not necessarily right. 
But that's what the, what the Jewish mindset was at the day. Of course we know that's not right now. But at that time, that's what they believed. And so here's what we have. We have people that are on their way to Jesus' house. We have a bunch of people that believe the reason this man is the way he is is because of his sin and God is punishing him. And so that's why he's paralyzed. And then we have some men who maybe had encountered Jesus earlier in in their life and had seen what he had done. Maybe that Jesus had healed them. Or maybe they just had amazing faith. But there's four men in this story that are on their way probably to Jesus' house. And they encounter this paralyzed man. And as they encounter this paralyzed man, the thought dawns, dawns on them. You know what? I think Jesus, the healer, can heal this man. And so what they begin to do is, I don't know how long it took, but they begin to pick up this guy and they begin to carry him to Peter's house. We don't know exactly how far Peter's house is from where this man was beside the road. We don't know how long this man's been paralyzed. We don't know if these guys are just great people or they've encountered Jesus themselves, but they begin to carry this paralyzed man to Jesus. And as they're carrying him to Jesus, I don't know if they're thinking, man, when he encounters Jesus, he's going to be healed. I don't know if the paralyzed man is saying, thank you. We don't know exactly how long the trip took, but what we do know is we have a paralyzed man. We have some men with compassion. And we have a house. And so as that, you guys doing all right, carrying? Got to keep going, Derek. There you go. We practiced this the other day. My arms are still sore. They carried and they carried. They carried. Okay, they're going to take a break for just a second. Okay. Not to make you feel bad, but the first service, they never stopped. They were able to just keep going. So they carry him and they carry him all the way to the front of the house, which is right here. And as they carried him to the house, they noticed that there's no room there in the house. There could have been people that could have, you know, opened the door and let him in. We don't know if there was people in the house that he'd already healed. Surely someone saw him. But when they come to the house, they notice there's no room. They probably, is a building tension while they're sitting there holding this? They probably could have just said, you know what, we did our part. We did our part. Let's just take him back or let's just leave him here and see if somebody finds him. They didn't do that. They had faith. And so they continued to travel. Okay, and they and, and, and those houses at those times where it was a flat house that had a roof and underneath the awning or the porch was a staircase that led up the side. Now, we don't have a big bunch of stairs. We just got one step and they're saying thank you for that. And so they carried him up the roof of the house and they <laughs> and they set him down. Okay, age has a concussion. Thank you, guys. They set him down. Let's give these guys a hand. How's the arms feeling right now? Pretty good? Yeah. Randy's sweating. They carried him up the roof. They dug a hole in the roof that was full of dirt and mud and sand and whatever else. And they lowered him down before Jesus. And what was amazing about the story is, is that when Jesus saw this man being lowered, he was as moved by the men that were lowering the man as he was that the man, he was getting ready to heal this man. 
So what Jesus does, if you know this story, is he looked at the paralyzed man. And he says two things that are interesting and not planned. He says, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Now, both of, both of those statements are interesting. Because of their faith, and wait a minute, I thought he was coming to get his legs healed. But Jesus sees past the seen into the unseen. Now, it's possible at that time that, that maybe, maybe this man's sin did cause his paralysis. It's also very possible that it wasn't sin that called this paralysis. But either way, there was some sin in this man's life. And Jesus ministers to that first. The teachers of the law that were also in this house says, says to Jesus, you're a blasphemer. Only, only God has power to do that. And Jesus says to him, which is easier, to say this man, the sins are forgiven, or to take up your mat and go home? But so that you will believe that I have the power to forgive sins, he tells age, I mean the man, get up, take up your mat and go home. And that's exactly what happens. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What we have is a bunch of onlookers that are standing there that watch this. And this time, for whatever reason, now that they're inside the, the, the house, they, make a, they, they part. They make a path. And he goes out, and the Bible says that everyone was amazed by what had just happened. I share that story with us today because whether you believe in God or not, whether you're sold out for God or not, all of us are a part of this story. And really, we can find ourselves, at least I can find myself in every character in this story at some point in my life. And I would even go so far today to say, in one way or another, we're all that paralyzed man, maybe even today. You're paralyzed from the standpoint that you don't know the Lord. You've come in here. You're curious about about the God, and you're paralyzed by your sin, and you're paralyzed by your doubt. For the for the, for the rest of us in here, or other people in in here, maybe there's some of us who um, we've asked Jesus into our heart, but we're paralyzed by taking that next step with God because it's going to cost us something. Whatever it is today, we can all identify with this. So this morning, I want to just break down uh, the different characters in this story and see what we can learn from that, not only as people, but also as a church. I think if the paralyzed man was here, that's the, you know, kind of the focus this morning, him and Jesus. I think if he was here today, what he would encourage us with is that wherever we're at today, who we are without Jesus has no relevance to who we can be with Jesus. Who you are without Jesus has no relevance to who you can be with Jesus. I had a student when I was a youth pastor who would cut herself. And she she would come to, to youth group and stuff and very quiet, would never say anything. And she, one day, we we send kids to camp and she got off the bus and she had a friend hand me this note. And on this note, it, it said, you know, I'm a cutter. And she kind of shared her story. And what she heard that week and what we, what we believe and we hope that happened not only that week in her life, but continued in her life. What she learned that week 
is that your story without Jesus has no relevance to who you can be with Jesus. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter where you come from. God can take your story and with him can do amazing things. Someone in here today needs to hear who you are or who you've been does not have to dictate the rest of your life. Who you are without Jesus. I was a liar without Jesus. Rahab was a prostitute without Jesus. Jacob was a liar without Jesus. Noah was a drunk without Jesus. Moses stuttered without Jesus. Timothy had an ulcer. David was an adulterer without Jesus. But when we are following God, he can change us and mold us. In fact, Paul says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? The old life is gone and the new life has begun. See, I believe that we're born, we're all born in the hospital with a mat perspective. You know, this blind, or this, not the blind man, this uh, person who was paralyzed, he had a mat perspective. Maybe not just initially, but he learned at some point whenever he was paralyzed, however long in life that took place, he began to see from a mat perspective that there's no hope, that nothing can be different. And it's not just the person in this story that can be this way. We can also get that way. We can get paralyzed in our thinking about our marriage or our finances or our sin or whatever you fill in the blank. And we kind of develop this place where we just lose hope. And that's our map perspective. But the action step that we can take today as it relates to this paralyzed man is if we stopped or if we started thinking from a miracle perspective rather than a map perspective. Let's read that together. Start thinking from a miracle perspective rather than... Let me just say this. I've got a hip condition. And as a kid, I prayed all the time, Lord, would you heal my hip? Would you heal my hip? Lord, would you heal my hip? And you know what? God did not heal my hip. But that does not mean I have to have a map perspective. Other times we pray for different things and God answers them. I'm not talking about God being a genie in the bottle where, you know, it's prosperity gospel where whatever we want, we can have. We ask God to be rich and we're rich. We ask God for some kind of miracle and he provides it. God's not a genie in the bottle. But we can have a miracle perspective in our thinking that sometimes does lead to tangible miracles. And other times it's our thinking that's the miracle. Are you living with a matte perspective, matte thinking? Or are you living with a miracle perspective? Because all things are possible through God. Paul says this. Let God transform you by taking you from paralyzed to healed. Nope. Let God transform you by putting everything back together and the other person saying they're sorry. No. He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let's read it. Let God transform you into a new person 
See, transformation takes place in our thinking. What would it look like if we stopped thinking as map people and we started thinking as miracle people? If nothing else, the miracle of salvation in our life. The paralyzed man in the story certainly was front and center, but there was also these men. We had two men in our story, but the Bible had four men. And these four men obviously were friends, literally friends, or maybe they didn't know them, but they were friends just because they had faith in God and were good people. But these four men model to us in this story something that's very important because once we move past being the helpless, which is basically what the paralyzed person is in this story, once we move past the helpless, God calls us to be the helper. And these four men, maybe they were helpless in their sin, and they found Jesus, but they moved to the helper. And I think that they would say today to us, because some of you have been praying for someone you know, you've been praying or trying to reach out to someone you know, you've been asking God to move in and help someone, and you're counting the distance and you're worried about all that, and here's what I think the four men would tell us today. When you believe that Jesus can really help someone, the time and the energy and the effort it takes to bring them to Jesus doesn't matter. When you believe that Jesus can really help someone, the time and the energy and the effort doesn't matter. Let's say that together. When you believe that Jesus can really help someone, the time, the energy, and the effort it takes to bring them to Jesus. Pastor Jim Sucraw, who used to be the pastor here at this church, was here for 30-some years, and Jim's sitting over here and friend, mentor, dad, figure in my life. And there was times I'm like, Jim, would you stop helping people? You have gone to the nth degree for this kid or this adult or these people. And sometimes we'd do that and he would do that and we didn't tangibly see any fruit yet. And then there was times where we see fruit. But when we start counting how much time and energy and effort go into something, we can just decide it's not worth it. It's not worth it to keep staying in our marriage and trying to make it work. It's not worth it. We reach this place of hopelessness. It's not worth it to try to keep praying for my adult child who doesn't know Christ. I've been praying for so long. I've been praying for so long that my husband would come to church with me and he's still not here. And I've been looking at my time and my energy and my effort into it. And you know what? I quit. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. We've been running these buses for a long time on Wednesday night. And you know what? It's kind of hard to get helpers and volunteers. And these kids are kind of rowdy and they don't always behave. And they disrespect us. You know what? It'd just be easy. When I look at the time and the energy and the effort that goes into this, why don't we just quit? I've felt that way in my life a lot. But when we focus on the destination desired, not the distance traveled, it helps us to stay in there. 
You see, the destination desired is Jesus. These men weren't focused on their arms falling off or how long it took for them to get him to Jesus. Or when they got to the door and it was packed, they said, you know what? This is about the destination, not about the distance. And I'm going to keep trying. We're going to climb up on the roof. I don't know, you know, Garrett, who was in the first service, weighed 180 pounds. Age weighed 150 pounds. (laughs) And we did a test this week and it's It's hard to carry it that far. But when you're focused on the destination, not the distance. Those of you who were adults and you quit college and you went back and got your college degree and you wanted to quit, but you kept going because you weren't focused on the distance, you wanted that degree. For those moms who quit school, or those dads who quit school to help raise someone. Or you had a child early. Or, or you, you know what I'm talking about. For that person who had to work to be what you are on the, on the athletic field. Or, or whatever. You know you've got all kinds of stories. You, if it's about the distance, many of us would quit. It's not about the distance. It's about the destination. What would it look like if we stopped saying, you know what? To go to small group tonight, it's going to... I'm going to have to give up cleaning the house and I'm going to have to give up this and I'm going to have to give up that. And you know what? It's too much. I just want to stay home. You know, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to share my faith with someone because I tried sharing my faith with them six months ago and they told me to go somewhere hot. And actually I'm trying to talk to them about that whole idea of going somewhere hot and they don't want to listen to me. And so, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to, I've already done that. And we start counting the costs. You know what? My kids are driving me crazy. I'm just, you know what? I'm just done. My kids, they're not as well behaved as these kids or, or, or they're not as smart as these kids or they can't run like these other kids or they can't do what these kids can do. Why? Woe is me. We start counting the cost. You fill in the blank. I mean, we could paint a lot of scenarios. Don't count the distance. Let God keep you fixed on the destination. We also see in this story the crowd. The crowd was was kind of a shepherd's pie of people. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, locals, probably some people that Jesus had healed, probably some people that, that had witnessed Jesus healing someone else. And the disciples. And why wouldn't anybody in that house be willing to make some room so the sick person could get to Jesus? No one helped open the door, clear a path. And you know there's a lot of churches like that. They do nothing to help. You see, if you ain't helping... You ain't helping. If you ain't paying your tithe and you're a follower, if you're not sure what you think about God, that's a different story. But if you know you're a follower and you ain't paying, you're not paying your tithe, you ain't helping. If you're a follower of God, and you're not serving in the church and serving in the community and trying to be a light. Are you helping?
There's a lot of churches, and I'm glad we're not one of them, where the church is full of a bunch of sitters instead of servers. And the pastor is the only one playing the game, and the rest of the church is just sitting on the sideline going, Go, pastor. We don't have a church like that. So we have to be careful not to block the path and we need to make ourselves useful. Let's read that. Don't block their path to Jesus. Imagine standing in the doorway when it's moving day and people are trying to carry couches and stuff in and out and we're standing there. We're not helping. We're not, we're not cooking. We're not bringing coffee in. We're not, we're not encouraging anybody to do anything. We're not carrying anything. We're just taking up space. And if we're a guest, which means, you know, if we're, if we're not sure what we, if we're not sure this is our church and we're not sure what we think about God, you're off the hook. But for some of us, if I were to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You would say unapologetically, I do. Are you helping? We also see in this story the teachers of the law. These were the religious. These were the pastors. These are the ones who knew all the answers. If you were to play, we played Bible trivia last night on the way home from Kansas City. And I didn't get them all right, I'll just tell you. But if you were to do Bible trivia with these religious scholars, they'd have got it all right. They knew all the answers. They were the, they were the perfect ones. They had it all figured out. They had walked by the paralyzed man. And if they hadn't walked by that guy, they'd walked by some other blind man or paralyzed man before. And the teachers of the law are standing where when Jesus forgives this man of of, of his sin. And rather than being excited about that and excited about the fact that he could walk, they miss the miracle because they miss the man. And, and the burden that they were carrying was not for this man to be well. The burden that they were carrying was he's, he's paralyzed because of his sin and God is punishing him for that. And what are you doing? Why are you messing with that? You don't have the authority. You see, when you have the wrong mindset, you will always carry the wrong burdens. When you have the wrong mindset, you will carry the wrong burdens. It's quiet in here. What burdens are you carrying? I don't want to get involved because it would, it would impact my schedule. That's the wrong mindset and that's the wrong burden. I don't want to give, I don't want to give my tithe because you know we just barely make it. A lot of other people that give are the same way. It's not about the church needing it or not needing it. It's about, it's about you being obedient as a servant. I don't want to share my faith with someone or, or, or even on Facebook put a scripture on there because I'm burdened by the fact that someone might think something. I don't want to be too pushy. When you have the wrong mindset, you carry the wrong burdens. Folks, that's really good. So ask God to give you his mindset. So you can carry the right burdens. Let's read that. Ask God to give you his mindset. So you can carry. Now just so I'll go first. Because I'm sitting here kind of. 
you know, feels maybe like I'm being a little judgmental. Look, let me tell you a fast story. I don't remember. I've coached several of Noah's teams and stuff over the years, and I don't remember when, what team or whatever. But I got so caught up in winning. You know, and there's this kid on the team who had absolutely no athletic ability whatsoever. And rather than using the fact that he's on the team and he's not plugged into, you know, a kid's ministry or something or didn't know God to, to share my faith with him and love on him, I had to watch myself from getting like he's not useful. I'm being honest. You can judge me or not. I'm just telling you the truth because I don't want you to understand. I get where we can get sometimes. My mindset, the burden I was carrying is I can't even put him in right field. That's the wrong burden. And a few games in, the Lord's like, you have got to change your mindset. Instead of spending all this time with these kids over here that have 54 hours of practice all the time and their dads pay for them to go to all this stuff, how about you spend some time with this kid? See, when we connect to God, He gives us the right mindset so we can carry the right burdens. We learn from Jesus in this story. He had something to say. Spiritual needs are always a priority over physical needs. Let's say that together. Spiritual needs are always... Can I say this? God cares about your cancer report. But he cares about where you're going to spend eternity more than that. God cares about, the Bible tells us he knows the number of hairs on our head. He cares about your cancer report. He cares about your marriage. He cares about the things that you care about. But not more than where you and the people that you know will spend eternity. In fact, we see that in the story. They brought him because of his his physical condition. Jesus addresses his spiritual condition first. Ask God to help you focus more on what you can't see rather than what you can see. See, there's a seen world, the seen things, and there's an unseen. Ask God to help you to focus on the unseen. Everybody was waiting for the physical miracle, and Jesus is like, we're starting with what is important. Your faith has healed his sin. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is... We also see that Jesus in this story prioritizes the sick over the healthy. The sick are a priority over the healthy. Say that with me. The sick... The church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a sanctuary for saints. I want a certain kind of music. I want certain kind of donuts. I want certain kind of carpet. I want a certain type of pastor. I want a certain type of this. I want a certain type of that. And Jesus says, look, it's not about the healthy. You were helpless and now you're you found help. So be helpful. Look for people around you who need Jesus instead of looking for problems in the church or looking for problems in the small group or looking for problems in the message or looking for problems in the way, whatever. Look for people who need Jesus. 
What are you looking for at work? What are you looking for at school? Not to embarrass Randy here, but earlier, a couple weeks ago, Steve Enoch told me, he said, hey, he said, the other day I saw Randy out in the lobby and he's looking kind of confused. And he's looking around, just looking around everywhere. I said, Randy, are you losing it? Are you all right? What's going on? Randy said, I'm just looking for someone I don't recognize so I can go say hello. Are you looking for healthy people? It's okay to talk to healthy people. We teach our kids, be in the right group of healthy people. But there are also people that come through our doors that need to have a smile and a hug and a handshake. And you have them in your classrooms, teachers. And you have them in your locker rooms, coaches. And you have employees, business owners. And you have children, stay-at-home moms. Are you looking for people who need Jesus? Are you looking to just get through the day? Jesus also says, your faith in me can influence another to have faith in me. These helpers brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. And their faith, their belief, their willingness to go the extra mile is what saved this man. I had a dad when I was 17 years old and a grandma and other people in my life that were praying for my salvation and praying for me to come to know Christ. And I can tell you right now, no one has the power to save except Jesus. But there was a lot of people, there was a whole lot of people in my life from the time I was little that did their best to carry me to Jesus. From the time I went home from the hospital, I had people in my life carry me to Jesus. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe as Pastor Dylan, who was here a few years ago, somebody carried him to Jesus when they invited him to a youth event. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your grandma, maybe it was an invite that you got that you're here. Who carried you to Jesus? Who are you carrying to Jesus? Karen, can you go to that next slide? The Bible says in Mark 2, 5, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. So what would it look like if we asked God to give us faith that will make an eternal difference in the lives of people? Do you pray that? Are you asking God to give you faith that will make an eternal difference in the lives of other people? Lord Jesus, I want my life to have an eternal difference, not just a six-week difference during a baseball season where I'm the coach. Lord, would you make it an eternal difference? Lord, when I'm a teacher, when I'm a coach, when I'm a, a student... Wherever I'm at, Father, in the way that I treat my kids, in the way that I treat other people, in the way that I handle conflict and crises, Lord, would you make my life, would you use me, would you use my faith, would you use my story, would you use the good and the bad in my life to make an eternal difference in the life of someone else? What if you prayed that consistently? 
The reason we can even make a difference is because Jesus carried his cross. Jesus didn't just stop with this miracle. He went on and did all these different things. And at some point, he finds himself on a road to Golgotha and he's carrying his cross so that we didn't have to. And we hear that message of the cross. And now all of a sudden, we can carry that cross to those who need the hope of the cross. Someone you work with. Someone you live with. Someone you go to school with. Someone you're standing beside at Walmart. An enemy. Someone that doesn't like you. Jesus carried his cross so we could carry the message of love and grace and compassion and mercy to those who need the hope of the cross. Jesus can do amazing things for you, in you, and through you. Not just before you get saved, but throughout your life. See, I think sometimes, I'm talking to church folk for just a second. I think sometimes church folk, they get saved and they become paralyzed because they're not going to do anything else besides that. That's it. They'll come to church, put their hour in, do whatever they do, serve a little bit. That's it. And they're paralyzed. They're stuck. Some of us in here, you don't even know Jesus. You're paralyzed because you don't have a relationship with him. You're born into sin. We're all born sinners. And all of us at times, if we're not careful, can get paralyzed in our thinking. What would it look like if we believed the way these men did? Jesus can take us and shape us and mold us from helpless to helping not hindering bringing people to the healer so the crowd who are the hearers can see the hope people around us need that hope does it bother you that there's empty chairs around you that there's somebody you know that doesn't know Christ they're not here are they here because you invited them and they just want to come or are they not here because you haven't asked them would it look like if we let God be the missing link in someone's life through carrying them to Jesus as we stand together this morning I don't know what you need to do with that but just let, let's just let the Holy Spirit work this morning as we worship The Savior said, My strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all.
as we uh, bow our heads and close our eyes, I just have a question for you, a couple questions. Have you been carried to Jesus? Are you carrying others to Jesus? Because I think today this could be a through-the-roof moment for somebody today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's somebody in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you'd like to, you can just simply pray this prayer that I'm getting ready to say in your head and in your heart. Here's the prayer, just real simple. Lord Jesus, I'd like to have a relationship with you. I don't don't necessarily know what that means. But I believe that you died so that you could have a relationship with me. And I know that I've done a lot of things to screw that up. But right now, I ask that you would forgive me for everything. And I mean that. And I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer and you meant that with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up real quick? If you prayed that prayer, thank you. No one looking around. If you prayed that prayer, just slip your thank you. Maybe there's some of us in here today, and as as I was talking, the Lord was talking to you about not being paralyzed by sin, but just not serving or not reaching out or not noticing those around you. You could pray a simple prayer like this. Just pray it. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray this. Lord Jesus, I do have a relationship with you. But I feel like today I've been paralyzed by these things and just tell him what they are. Could be bad thinking or whatever it is. And Lord, I ask forgiveness for that and I repent of that. Father, I ask that you'd show me how to how to help the helpless and bring them to the healer. Lord, today, thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for both those prayers and other prayers like it today. Father, help us to be people that carry. Have you been carrying? Are you carrying? May we ask that all the time. Pray that each one of us today would be what you want us to be. We give you praise and glory and honor for who you are. In Jesus' name, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed Sunday.